The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the show? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes May 10th. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. is live. It is Tuesday night, November 30th, the year of our Lord, 2021. High atop downtown Nashville. We're nowhere near downtown Nashville, Tennessee. I'm in Georgia because we have some business to take care of in a couple of days. It's called the SEC Championship Game. Maybe you've heard of it. So I figured I'd spend some time with the fam down here. And I tweeted out earlier today. Matter of factly, as I'm one to do, I'm going to do the show tonight from a viewer's bedroom. Some of you called BS on that. Well, we're coming to you live right now. And we're in a bedroom of a viewer. There's a bed right here. I mean, there's, we're kind of living like serial killers. There's a bed, there's some cartons of water. If you're listening on the podcast, this means nothing to you. We got a great show for you tonight because we got a whole bunch going on. Think about what's just shifted from the last time you and I spoke. We did the Late Kick Extra podcast this morning. A lot's already changed from there. So we're jam-packed tonight. We got Brian Kelly to LSU. It's Tuesday before conference championship Saturday. That means we've got full conference championship predictions coming up. I've got a full Bama Georgia break. We've got the Oklahoma job still open as of this hour. The Notre Dame job's open. There's a whole lot being talked about. Talked to a number of coaches on the phone today. Whole lot being talked about every which way about where those jobs and um, where the ripple effect from the hirings that are made at those jobs will kind of lead the sport. Also, there's a lot of blame being cast towards the early signing day about this whole mess. So I'm going to talk about that because I already kind of gave you a little heads up on that earlier today. So we got a whole lot to get to. The playoff rankings just came out. I've got a few things to say about that too. Make sure you're following at Late Kick Josh. We got so much going on this time of year, and we don't have a show every hour. I'll tell you what I did last night that I have not done to this point, and a lot of you guys have asked me to, and I may bend on this. And that's a Twitter space. Did a couple of them last night. I talked to some folks today about doing some in the future. That's it's kind of an interesting concept. I do like it. So um, TBD on that. Let's dive in, though. Where else do we begin but Brian Kelly? Brian Kelly is now the head coach at LSU. And this is something that if you followed me for a while, you know I've beat this drum to death. Even back in our independent days when we were down in Columbus, where I happen to be right now, I wanted Brian Kelly to try his hand at head coach in the SEC somewhere. Didn't really care where. It never happened. And then he got to 60 years old, and I thought maybe it never will happen. Well, it's happening. And so Brian Kelly to LSU, October 17th is where I want to take you back to. Ed Orgeron gets fired at LSU. And I came on this show the very next night, and I said, when this coaching search ramps up, you've got to be prioritizing some things. If you're Scott Woodward, you've got to be prioritizing fit. And then that's the word that everyone started throwing around today. And two things that I learned from this entire process is, number one, Scott Woodward nailed it. And number two, apparently I define fit a lot differently than some of you define fit. Because I heard some of you say this is a bad fit. This is an awesome fit. This is an excellent fit. It's just that maybe you and I differ on how we define fit. To me, too many folks think fit has to do with your birthplace or the pinpoint on the map where you happen to reside right now. That's not fit. 
Fit is defining the characteristics that embody your program and then going and finding the dude that fits most of them. I think Brian Kelly fits all of them. Nick Saban didn't grow up in Bessemer, Alabama, guys. He's the best fit in America for what Alabama football wanted to be. And so Brian Kelly, I don't care if he can't pronounce Pontchartrain the right way. If he checks those boxes, he's the right guy for your job. And I think he does. So to go back to October 17th, when Orgeron got fired, remember what we talked about on this show. We talked about a guy who could critically build, not maintain, but build organization and structure. A guy who understood the process-oriented approach over the result-oriented approach. Also wanted a guy who understood how to develop players. I talked a lot at the time about teams winning at the line of scrimmage, and certainly Brian Kelly's teams have done that. But also, do you deliver what you sell? That's what I wanted in the LSU coach. That's what all LSU folks should want in the LSU coach. I got news for you. I don't care if you're from Russia. I don't care if you're from what is now formerly Yugoslavia. If you check those boxes, you are a fit at LSU because you'll win. And if you win, you're going to be a fit at LSU because you're going to have a product on the field that all the folks there are proud of. You just got rid of a guy that if you cut him open would bleed purple and gold. Ed Orgeron could probably disassemble a fan boat and put it back together with no instruction manual, but he wasn't the right fit long-term for the job. Brian Kelly, I don't care if he's never been to Louisiana, probably a better fit for the job at LSU. So now we get to ask some questions about Brian Kelly because the biggest issue to me that he has to rectify in the post-2019 LSU world is I told you guys many times, I've been over on the Go 24-7 board and talked about this many times. I was texting back and forth with Shay Dixon today talking about this very thing. In 2019, we saw what may be the best football team we've ever seen. Easily the best football team in LSU program history. We never saw another LSU team. As far as I'm concerned, we never saw a football team. Saw a bunch of individuals. So what has to happen for sustained excellence was not present. That factor was not present at LSU. And so when we got to the 2020 season, we're coming into that fall. I remember vividly saying, based on the reactions, that we're getting out of camp and then watching that week one game against Mississippi State, it didn't even look like a football team. Whatever that thing is, that intangible between the bricks that holds it together, LSU didn't have that. They just had the bricks. They had a lot of pieces. They had a lot of talented players. They did not have the mortar in between that defines what a team is, that critical characteristic. And this year was not a whole lot different. They played their best football once they ended up firing their head coach. That stuff that team, that tiger on the side of that helmet over just a roster full of names, that's the stuff that's got to get corrected. That's the bad news, but it's also the good news because those names on that roster, if you can interconnect it and you make it into a team again, this is not a five-year rebuild. It's not even a two-year rebuild. Some people have been saying Brian Kelly can compete in the national landscape as early as next year. Oh, I fully believe that. I absolutely believe that. Now, is there some stuff that's got to be fixed? Yeah. Is the roster perfect? No, it's not. But relative to other job openings that you normally have to take over because it was a disaster, this was this was change the tires. This was not completely overhaul the transmission. So, yeah, there's some stuff that has to happen there, but I can't wait to see how he recruits. He was on this show. We had Brian Kelly on late kick this time about a year and a half ago, and he point blank told you. I tweeted this video out last night. He point blank told you, I cannot recruit at Notre Dame the way I want to. Now, he didn't say it like that. But if you read between the lines and you if you watch that interview at the time or look at the video I tweeted out last night, he's telling you 
there are a lot of guys they recruit in these Southern programs and these major programs we can't even bother with. We can't even waste time going after them. We know we can't get them in school. He doesn't have to worry about that anymore. He gets to go after the same guys Georgia does, same guys Florida does, same guys, obviously, that LSU is always going after. Now, that's a catch-22 because going after them is not the key. Landing them is the key. I think it's very misguided to look at Brian Kelly's recruiting history and assume that that's an apples-to-apples comparison about what he'll be at LSU. I think it's a great hire. I am ecstatic about the hire for LSU. I am probably in the minority with what I'm about to say. I prefer Brian Kelly over Lincoln Riley because I love the fact that Brian Kelly has built and then sustained a winner. That's not to say Lincoln Riley can't. But as I told you at the outset of this search, I don't believe in taking risks. I believe in sure things. If you're LSU, you're the top of the food chain. You don't have to take risks. This was as sure a thing as you can find. By 10 miles, it's the best resume that LSU has ever hired. But he's built them and he's sustained them now, multiple stops. Lincoln Riley, it'll sound disrespectful, but I'm going to put it this way anyway because I don't know any other way to put it. Lincoln Riley has been the kid over in the passenger seat whose dad gets the car up to 60 miles an hour and then lets you sit in the lap and he lets you take the steering wheel. Well, you're not driving. You just have your hands on the steering wheel. You get in the car and you shut the door and you turn the ignition and you get that thing in drive and then you get it up to speed. That's driving. Brian Kelly's a driver. Lincoln Riley may be one day, but he has not proven that on the grand stage like Brian Kelly has. I love Brian Kelly for LSU. Uh, we will effort as best we can to get him on the show sometime in the spring. It would be a return trip for him. So we're very familiar with him. But I love the fit. Love it. Love it. Love it. Am ecstatic about it. I think he's one of the most misunderstood coaches in America because I simply don't believe people fully grasp the difference and the gulf in the resource gap between and the admissions gap between Notre Dame and the program he's at now. And his job is not to be a mayor down there. His job is to win football games. So you want to know what a fit is? A fit is the guy who checks the boxes that it's going to take to sustain a long-term winner. And I think Scott Woodward killed it. And I think that this guy is exactly what LSU football needs. What you need, you got some of those cards, by the way. Don't say anything because I don't want people to know whose bedroom I'm in. But do you have any of those Academy gift cards anywhere? Okay, so as you know, we're going to be in Atlanta Saturday. And as you know, this company right here, this is Academy Sports and Outdoors for those unfamiliar. Um, they are like our angel. Really, it's not in the ad copy, but they're kind of like our angel because everything that we need, Academy just comes in and takes care of for us. Granted, they didn't build this mysterious bedroom I'm in right now, but they do about everything else we need. So in some alternate universe, give you an example here. If I ever wanted to change clothes out of the same t-shirt that I wear every day, Academy Sports and Outdoors would be the place to go. Um, I would even go as far as to say they have encouraged me to take advantage of these gift cards that I'm holding in my hand to maybe uh, in a not so subtle way, buy some new clothes. But the reason I'm flashing the gift card is because we got Bama, Georgia this Saturday. I'm about to break down the game in a second. I'm going to have a whole new treasure trove full of these bad boys, these Academy gift cards on hand. We're doing a lot of coverage. I think it's uh, Barrett Salee and I this Saturday in Atlanta. So we're going to do pregame, postgame. I'll be around. We're going to do the show from up there Thursday. I'm going to be all over Atlanta Friday. What does that even mean? I've got a luncheon to go to Friday. And so um, if you see me, chances are I will have Academy Sports and Outdoor gift cards in my so in a very, very non-aggressive way, ask me for one, and I'll give you one. Uh, that is because our partners at Academy Sports and Outdoors make that possible. We appreciate that. It is the holiday season. 
or to put a finer point on it, it's the Christmas season. And so if you need presents, if you need to check that list really quick, just head to academy.com. That's the website. If you can't get to a a brick and mortar store, academy.com. Either way, that is your hookup. It is your one-stop shop for all things outdoors, a lot indoors that you need, tailgating equipment and the like, Academy Sports and Outdoors. There you see the ad read. It just says Academy. Thank you so much. Eternally grateful for our partners at Academy Sports and Outdoors. So, College football playoff rankings just unveiled. This is the last batch of rankings, mind you, before we get to conference championship Saturday and then selection Sunday. And so you start chewing those fingernails down to the nub as the weekend approaches. And we obviously got a lot of different scenarios. When we entered this season, I told you I thought it was going to be a renaissance season for many reasons, but chief among them was I did not think the Redwoods, as I called them in the sport, were nearly as tall as they normally are. Case in point, Clemson chopped down to size. Alabama's very vulnerable. Georgia hadn't won a title in 41 years. They're the tallest redwood in the sport right now. That pretty much encapsulates what a renaissance season is all about. I thought on ESPN tonight when they were doing the reveal, they had a really good stat. And that was our top four right now of Georgia, Cincy, Michigan, and uh, Alabama. And then if you project forward like an Oklahoma State, it's, it was like a combined one playoff win, I think it was. So yeah, there's a lot of new blood here. Having said that, it may be that the dominoes are not done falling. So you're looking at the rankings if you're watching on YouTube right now, and the current matchups, which almost are impossible to happen, would be Georgia-Cincy. Georgia would be favored by about 17 in that game. Bama-Michigan. Bama would be about a five-point favorite in that game. That's not our model. That's actual Vegas number. I could give you our model output, but I wasn't prepared to do that. So who's still alive in this thing is what I want to ask. Because I know you got Ohio State sitting there at seven. There's almost, I don't think there's any path to be real with you where Ohio State makes it in here. But let's just talk about the craziness. If the craziness were to happen, craziness, of course, would be Cincinnati losing as, let's say, a 10 and a half point favorite. We're going to break that game down in a little while. Let's say Cincy does lose. Let's say it gets really sideways. Let's say Iowa beats Michigan. What starts to happen there? So let's just say Georgia wins. So you got Georgia in there. But let's say Michigan falls and they're out. Let's say Cincy falls and they're out. Well, you're talking about Notre Dame, which is just this whole other can of worms that is fascinating that I'm going to talk about in just a second when we're talking about the Notre Dame coaching search. But just to tease it up, I want you to picture a world where the Notre Dame Fighting Irish are in the playoff and whoever is leading them, Jack Swarbrick doesn't allegedly want to name an interim head coach, but whoever's leading them, I'm just going to say Marcus Freeman. What if they end up winning a playoff game? that they had never done under Brian Kelly. And Brian Kelly's gone, even though he started the year as the head coach there. That would be insanity. So bookmark that, because I'm going to talk about that more in just a second. But Ohio State's out of this thing. And here's how I figure that. I don't see any path for them in, which is the very definition of being out. I mean, I was thinking about, I was thinking about Georgia winning. If Georgia wins, Bama's out. But I still think you've got the Oklahoma, the Big 12 champion, at the very least, even if it's Baylor, I think is in over Ohio State. Uh, By the very default of the SEC shaking out the way it does, I think either of those teams, Georgia certainly in either way, even if Georgia beats Bama, I think a two-loss Bama that played for a conference title is probably still in over a two-loss Oklahoma or Ohio State. So I don't know what their path is. I had a lot of people trying to present it. I don't know what their path is. I'll tell you the one that I'm very curious about, given that they are number 10. Could Oregon make it? If the craziest of crazies were to happen, could Oregon make it? So right now you're looking at their resume. They got 27 in the strength of schedule category. They're playing Utah 
this Saturday. Now, here's why that's important. It's a conference championship game. And secondly, their worst loss, well, their widest margin loss is to Utah. So if you avenge yourself, then I wonder if people interpret that loss or define it a little bit different or value it a little bit differently. But also look at what could happen here. So I know you've got Ohio State listed above Oregon right now, but if Oregon added a conference championship to their resume and they still have that head-to-head over Ohio State, I think they'd vault the likes of Ohio State. I think they may, if you had Michigan fall out and you had Cincinnati fall out, I think there's this weird path along with the Big 12 champ where maybe an Oregon scoots in, maybe even past Notre Dame. I'd be very interested in how the committee would interpret a two-loss conference champ Oregon against a one-loss non-conference champ Notre Dame. We'll be very interested in that. And hey, here's another question someone asked today. I have no clue what the answer to this is. You can tell me if you have a different opinion than me, because I don't really have one. So your opinion is going to be different than mine if you have one at all. Let's say it is margins of micro inches either way. And let's say you've got a resume comparison on Selection Sunday of Notre Dame and fill in the blank. Do you think that committee would look you in the eye and say, when it came down to it, we penalized Notre Dame for not having a head coach? It's kind of like the injured player thing. Should you be punished for having a key player injured or should you just be judged off your resume? I don't know what the answer to that is. I don't know that it's ever been thought to be a possibility. Will we ever be talking about a program in the playoff whose head coach has left? Because it defies logic. But that's where we are. Two other things to pay attention to. If Georgia wins, they're the one seed. If Georgia loses, still very curious where they fall. I don't see them falling past three at all. Uh, So that's the first thing. The second thing is, if Bama wins Saturday against Georgia and Michigan wins, who is your number one seed? Bama's behind Michigan tonight. They would both have conference championship wins, but Bama would have that trump card of having beaten the number one team in the country. I think Bama would be the one seed. That's what I think, but I'm very interested to see how that plays out. Of course, the chalk could hold, and all of that could be irrelevant, so we'll see. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's move on. Uh, We've talked about this game so much. Let me clear my throat. throat) We've talked about this game long enough, so let's actually break it down. A lot of us in the South have grown up, uh, you know, on the dividing line of Alabama and Georgia, and so this one is like, it's a really big deal for a lot of us. The SEC Championship game this Saturday. We will be there, as you see the Renaissance Tour. I see it flashing on the laptop right in front of me. We will be on hand in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I miss the Georgia Dome. But I'm not going to wax poetic about the Georgia Dome tonight. Mercedes-Benz Stadium is the location. Four o'clock Eastern time. 
is the kickoff. Georgia, about a six and a half point favorite, regardless of where you look right now. Well, what do we think is going to happen here? Let's dive in. There are several major dynamic shifts in play in this game that we haven't seen present the last couple of times these teams have played. And the first one is there is no run game for Alabama to lean on. Now, Georgia has limited Alabama's run a time or two, but Bama had a run game. Bama doesn't have a run game right now. It would surprise me if Bama put up 65, 70 yards rushing. That would surprise me. And it would probably coincide with Bryce Young having broken a 40-yard run. So like one one long run and then a bunch of two-yard gains. They just can't run the ball. Uh, Brian Robinson is unlikely to play here. If he plays, certainly not going to be anywhere full speed. And they're just in a bad situation. Alabama's in a bad situation. So that's the first thing that you normally don't find yourself saying. The second thing is there is a decided physical advantage for Georgia here. Georgia's one of the oldest teams they'll ever have. Bama's one of the youngest teams they'll ever have. Bama has not had that line of scrimmage edge, especially offensively, that they're used to having. It's such an opportune moment for Georgia in so many areas. Also, consider this. You want me to tell you how big a physical advantage Georgia has and how important the defense for Georgia is. How many times have you ever seen a program like Bama that recruits at a top three level annually who has the head coaching edge and the quarterback edge on a neutral field and is still nearly a touchdown underdog? You say that out loud, that's almost enough for some people in the betting community to autoplay the underdog. If I tell some folks you're going to have a head coaching and quarterback edge and you're going to be given points, that's enough for some people to blindly bet Alabama, who is the underdog in this case. So look, here's where people are wrong. There's a lot of intangibles in play here. Here's where people I think are dead wrong. A lot of people are looking at Georgia because they got that undefeated record and they got that number one ranking. And people are looking and saying, oh, I guess Georgia's the hunted now instead of the hunter. No, they're not. No, not in this game, they're not. Until they've taken down that dragon, they are the hunter. You make no mistake about it. Now, Bama can view themselves however they want to. Georgia, the mentality around that program, the way they've practiced leading up to this thing, the attitude they'll have when they roll into Atlanta, Georgia Saturday, I can promise you, it will not be looking over their shoulder. It will not be that of the hunted. Georgia football, when it comes to Alabama, very much the hunter still. I would be shocked if Georgia didn't show up as aggressive as you've seen them. I'd be shocked if they didn't show up as prepared as you've seen them. So now let's dive into the game. Because to me, this becomes the whole quicksand versus quick strike thing. Given the limitations that we expect Alabama to have in the run game, and given how suffocating Georgia can be with the complementary style they play. See, that defense feeds into that run game and how it wears on you for four quarters You've got the quick strike ability, which Bama has to have, and you got the quicksand. You know, you got the popcorn droppers, and then you got the Cobra effect over here. Which one is going to win out? Because I think I was texting with Jake Rowe earlier this week. I told him, I'll tell you publicly, I think the logo of Alabama has affected this point spread. I think if you switch jerseys on these teams, the line would be double digits. There's a lot to be said about the prestige and the reputation of that Crimson Script A. And that's why that thing's still under seven. Because if you were to look at the actual state of these rosters and state of these teams this year, and you were to look at that number, and you were to just have generic jerseys on each one, you didn't know it was Alabama, I'd say that thing's 10, 11 points. Having said that, there is a path for Alabama. And that's kind of the way I wanted to break it down, like I told you the other night. What's the path here? Here's two problems. One of them I already told you for Alabama, they can't run the ball. Number two, they don't really have the threat of the run. This is where it's different than years past. Years past, Georgia may have stood up against the run 
but they had to commit extra effort to do it. And now they don't. It's not just that Bama's not going to be able to run the ball. It's that they're not going to be able to run the ball, and Georgia's probably not going to have to commit numbers to stopping them from running the ball. That makes it a whole heck of a lot harder to consistently make plays through the air the way Bama's going to need to, especially when you don't have three or four first-round draft picks out there. You got one, and there's some complementary pieces that work off that. Uh, The second thing that you don't normally find yourself saying about Bama ever much less in these big games, is they're going to have to change something about who they are. Normally, they're the team making you change who you are. But Georgia's better than them this year. So Georgia's the one that's going to force Bama to change something about who they are. I'm a believer it's got to be injecting more tempo into the passing game, but just into the offense in general. Because when you watch them, kind of bust tendencies Saturday. I mean, self-scouting is going to be so critically important here because – They're not even shy about it at Georgia in letting you know we've been getting ready for this one for quite a while. So if you stick to your tendencies, you're already dead. What you got to do is you got to have them in the postgame press conference saying a lot of the same things Nick Saban said. Nick Saban, I've heard him half a dozen times this year say, well, they gave us something that we didn't prepare for. Well, how about you give somebody else something they didn't prepare for? And so that's what Alabama's got to do. Not out of choice, out of necessity. I would think it has a lot more to do with tempo, and I would think also – with some of the softer coverage that Georgia's willing to play, I would think it has to do with a lot of screen and underneath passing stuff. And give guys like Jamison Williams the ability to rack up some yards after catch. Uh, John Mechie's the same way. I'd be very surprised if some of these young receivers like Corey Brooks didn't have to play a pivotal role in this game this Saturday. Georgia, like I said, will be as prepared for this game as any game you've seen. So your game plan, your typical game plan, the one that narrowly got you past Florida, the one that got you beat at A&M, the one that narrowly got you past Auburn, you might as well leave that in Tuscaloosa. Something has got to be different here. The things you cannot quantify, though, are what will determine this game. So I'm very interested on Georgia on first down. I'm very interested on Bama on third down. Like There's a lot of stuff that we're going to talk about as the week goes on, but the non-quantifiable factors here, I actually think may go a long way in determining this game. The first one is um, what I would call, I guess, battered versus battle-tested. And I don't even think Nick Saban knows what to expect in this department. You could make the argument that Georgia having cruised while Bama's had to fight for their life against Arkansas and then Auburn, and now they go to a conference championship game, well, they've already been in the playoff for like three weeks. You could make that argument. I could also make the counter-argument Bama's beat to death because of it. And so I don't know. That's the whole point of being non-quantifiable. I don't know how to assignate a number on that. Another thing is you can make the argument to me, since Georgia hasn't been pressed all that much, it could be that they've got a lot they're capable of doing they've never had to show you this year. I halfway believe that. How do I quantify it? I don't know. Um, What does it mean for Alabama to be an underdog in a game? What does it mean for them to be in do or die, no safety net, wounded animal mode? I don't know what that means. I never see them. Last time I saw them, they beat Georgia 38 to 10 when they were in that mode. I don't think that game in 2015 has anything to do with this game, but I don't know what to expect from Alabama in that spot. Also, the pressure factor on Georgia. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't expect this to be an issue, but it doesn't mean it's not real. There is immense pressure on Georgia here, immense pressure. I almost equate this to the way Bama felt opposed to Florida in 08-09. 08, Kirby was actually at Alabama, 08-09, and it's Tim Tebow, Urban Meyer in Florida, and everyone knew you had to get over that hump in order to own the SEC. Bama went up against it in 2008. They bumped their head against the brick wall. They fell down. They got themselves up. They went back in 2009. They ran through the wall. Well, 
I'm looking at this the same way. And I'm looking at Georgia having run into that wall a few times and fallen back down. This is the time. They have never had a better opportunity. They will never have a better matchup edge over Alabama than they do right now. That's a lot of pressure. It's also, you know, kind of psychologically a weird thing to know that you can afford to lose Saturday and still go to the playoff. I don't think those things are going to be an issue because I think this Georgia team is far too veteran and mature to allow it to impact them. But it is there. So, you know, I've been wrong on that a time or two. Let's take a look at what the model thinks. Let's take a look at what Vegas thinks, and I'll tell you what I think. The Vegas number on this game right now, according to Caesars, is Georgia minus six and a half. The model is north of there. The model is at Georgia minus eight and a half. I've watched these teams. I could make you an argument for Bama, but I have watched Bama a few times this year prove me wrong when I thought they were about to kick it into a different gear. And so I'm done betting on that happening. Georgia's been consistent. They have basically, you listen to Nick Saban earlier this week at his presser, he's told you they have basically been this year what Bama is most years. I'm not betting against that. If I'm going to be proven wrong in this game, I'm going to make Bama do something they haven't done all year. What I'm not going to do is be proven wrong by Georgia doing what they have done the entire year. I'm going to take Georgia to win. I think Georgia's going to cover. I think that this obviously is the biggest win to date for Kirby Smart. It's even bigger than having won a playoff game in years past. If he beats Nick Saban in Alabama Saturday, make no mistake, that's the biggest win of Kirby Smart's career. I think we're going to see it. But if we don't, boy, it makes that playoff picture really muddy. Uh, let's talk about some head coaching intel before we dive into the rest of these conference championship predictions. Also, I want to say, as I pull it up here, I want to say I appreciate you guys being tuned in. Here's a little inside baseball. When I told you the other night, well, when I asked you the other night to subscribe to the channel, if you were already watching, 1,500 of you did simultaneously. So I'm going to try it again. What do we have? About 33, 3,400 in here right now. So if you're watching, the only request to keep the show free is just subscribe to the channel. That's it. That's all. Thank you in advance because if history is any indication, you will do it. Latest head coaching intel. What are we hearing? I'm scared. I'm halfway scared to do this segment. I told Colin and Jesse, we got to be careful because things could change even as we're on air. But let's talk about it. Notre Dame. They woke up this morning, finally needing a head coach for the first time in over a decade. And you got Luke Fickle's name out there. You got Marcus Freeman's name out there. I'm a little confused about the whole situation, to be honest with you. So what happened today is obviously Brian Kelly's going to LSU. So you've got an opening. Jack Swarbrick was down in Texas. They were doing the playoff meetings. He's the AD at Notre Dame. And he said, we are not going to name an interim head coach, which just baffles me. But Jack Swarbrick's not an idiot. So I know there's got to be good reason behind what he's doing. At least I think there has to be. Here's the way my simple mind's working. I don't get what the risk is in naming Marcus Freeman your interim head coach. Marcus Freeman's going to get a head coaching job somewhere in the next few weeks, if not sooner than that. The only thing I could come up with, the only thing I, I kind of bounced this off a few people, the only thing that they agreed that we could come up with is maybe they know something we don't know. Or maybe they have not gotten assurances from Marcus Freeman to stay at Notre Dame. Because Brian Kelly wants him in Baton Rouge. And so if they have an inkling that he's not going to stay here, no, then absolutely not. You do not name him your interim. Because the only thing worse than Brian Kelly choosing LSU over you would be you naming an interim head coach and then him also choosing LSU over you. Yeah, that'd look bad. I get that. So absent of me not having all the information – I'm just going to say it confuses me from the outside as to why they're not going to name an interim head coach. But here's what's going to be fun right now. And here's what, it's such a pressure cooker of a 
situation to be in because they could go after Luke Fickle. A lot of reports indicate that's who they want. Luke Fickle comes in. Cincinnati's first call is probably going to be Marcus Freeman. You want to come be our head coach? By the way, we are Cincinnati going to the Big 12, so we're also going to be what you would call a Power 5 job. Uh, do you want the job? Then you could have the guy Notre Dame could have had, and you could have the guy that you wanted over Marcus Freeman, and they both get head coaching jobs at the same time, kind of switch addresses, basically. Keep an eye on that. Matt Campbell's name has been conspicuously quiet over the last week. And I got to tell you, I had a coaching buddy say, did you watch Campbell's last game at Iowa State today? And I said, what do you mean? He said, go go watch him. And I looked at him on the field pregame and in his press conference postgame, he did sound like a guy who was on his way out the door. I don't know what that means, if it meant anything at all, but let's just keep an eye on Matt Campbell. What about Oklahoma? Because this is one that I, um, for all of you who think I just endorse every hire, I'm not totally sold on Brent Venables going to Oklahoma, but a lot of Oklahoma fans are. It's your program. It's not my program. I, I think very highly of the Oklahoma job. And so when I had someone texted me, looks like it's Venables. And now overwhelmingly, that's the reporting. It looks like it's Brent Venables, who is the defensive coordinator at Clemson, for those unfamiliar. I look at that, and I think to myself, Brent Venables, good candidate. But then the next thing out of my mouth is, I think Oklahoma could do better. Now, their criteria may be different than mine, for all I know. Here's what's interesting, though. There's a little shift going on that you didn't think was going to happen. You look at Big 12 football just three or four years ago, and you looked at the trajectory of the overall sport, and it was offense, offense, offense. Even Alabama, Nick Saban had shifted gears, and, and they were all about adapting new offensive approaches. And you probably thought to yourself, the Big 12 is never going to hire another defensive coach out here as a head coach. Well, Dave Aranda is about to play for a Big 12 championship Saturday. And also Brent Venables at what I would call right now the premier program in the Big 12 uh, for the time being in Oklahoma is maybe about to get hired as one of the premier defensive coordinators over the last several years in college football. And it coincides with the style shift out there. It's been happening for a couple of years, but now you see it's kind of the same way with the playoff and everyone thinks it's just going to be the same four teams forever. No. And it's the same way with style of play. It's not just going to be the same forever. Everyone's evolving. Everyone's changing consistently and constantly. And so if Brenton Venables gets that, I don't think it'll be the last high-profile defensive coordinator to get his name into consideration for one of these big jobs, which we were being told, again, just three or four years ago wasn't going to happen. I would strongly encourage you to keep an eye on the Twitter account, at Josh. Like this stuff changes so frequently, and we get updates. I mean, I'll, I'll get texts at 3 a.m. from folks. I was talking to a coach at a G5 level school today, and he was talking about just with the coaching moves that he knows of, how much stuff's going on at the assistant coaching level because of this, and then tie it all into early signing day coming up, which is the last thing I wanted to touch on here. There was a lot of gnashing of teeth when the early signing day got instituted. Not at 24-7 sports. We love it. It gives us a second signing day. It's a huge tentpole event. The more and more I look at the ramifications around here, the more I realize we really should shift that early signing day to August because a lot of what's happening right now is predicated on getting a coach in place for the early signing day. And I'm telling you, there's no easy way to do it. There's no good way to do it. If we were to scrap the college football calendar today and just start from scratch, we would never construct it like it is. We would never put the early signing day 
right after conference championship games, as you're preparing for your bowl games, you've also, you're in the thick of the transfer portal season. So much is going on. You're trying to hire coaches, fire coaches. You're trying to prepare for games. No one would ever construct it like that. That early signing date, I'm all for it, but man, I wish we could move that thing to August. And I can assure you, it's not selfish because our show's doing record numbers right now. But for the betterment of the game, you talk about why this is not good for the game, I agree. The early signing date can stay. Coaches on the move can stay. The transfer portal can stay. Just you got to space that stuff out a little bit more on the calendar. And that's, believe it or not, that's what a majority of coaches have talked to me about over the last week or so. It's not even that the moves are happening. It's always good. It's always good to shift the pieces around in the coaching industry. It's the timing. That's the big issue that a lot of these folks have. All right, let's move on. Uh, Conference championship Saturday. And for those of you tuning in late, yes, this is me in a mysterious bedroom. That's as specific as I'd like to get. Uh, You know, occasionally when you got a fancy studio and a high rise in Nashville, you got to leave town and just do the show in a bedroom. And a mysterious bedroom. This is not even my bedroom. So with that in mind, let's predict some conference championship games. Keep your, keep your voice down over there. Let's predict some conference championship games this Saturday. Michigan versus Iowa. This one is a late game. It's 8 o'clock on Fox. These are Eastern times, by the way. At no point was Michigan surprised to beat Ohio State Saturday. And here's why that's important. Because the obvious theme in this game could be letdown. You may think to yourself, how could you have a letdown in a conference championship game? Well, after having not beaten Ohio State for as long as they had and being around that environment last week and seeing how emotional it was, oh, it could be there. I'm totally inverse, though. I'm totally on the opposite side. It would be that way if they were shocked to win the game. They weren't. The fans may have been to a certain extent. Uh, this wasn't at all. They acted like they expected to win. Afterwards, they acted like they got something that they had expected to get. I think that's part of a process. And I think get their best version. Now, listen. The best version of them could still lose to Iowa if things do fall just right for Iowa. But this is where the four-quarter concept comes in. Because mark my words, this is very likely to be a game that is close throughout the first half. And if you just expect some blowout, you may get a little nervous. But that's why they play four quarters. Not a 30-minute game. It's a 60-minute game. And so over the course of 60 minutes, I still think Michigan is going to end up body-blowing and body-blowing and body-blowing Iowa eventually out of this thing. And I think it may take a little more than 30 minutes to do it, but I think they will. And I also, you know, it's a, it's a different style when you're playing Iowa because you could very well look at this as Michigan and say, what do we need? 20, 24 points? So, something like that literally could do it. Our model thinks they're going to get 31, somewhere in that neighborhood. So if they do, obviously Michigan has won this thing. We are going to take Michigan to win, and I take Michigan to cover too. I actually think in the second half they are going to put a very emphatic cap on this season. And you're going to look back and you're going to say, wow, had they not beaten or had they not gotten beaten by Michigan State, we'll be talking about them like we're talking about Georgia. Even having said that, they're a lot for the playoff, obviously, with a win. What about the Big 12 championship game? This is a noon Eastern time kickoff. This is on ABC, Oklahoma State. In fact, let me move my screen around to make sure nothing's changed. So Oklahoma State is anywhere from a five and a half to a six and a half point favorite, depending on where you look. We've already gotten on Baylor in this game, so you know where I am as it relates to the point spread. Gary Bohannon, quarterback for Baylor, still very questionable. You know my proclivity for loving to bet backup quarterbacks. And so this is not a situation where I think they just drop off a cliff if they do indeed have to play shape and who is the backup quarterback there at Baylor. 
He's got some experience under his belt. They don't change scheme a whole lot. So it's not anything that's going to necessarily fool Oklahoma State. I just think Baylor's capable of operating offensively to a high enough degree with him in the game. I really want to know if Baylor can do some damage early in this game. Because I do think there's going to be a settling in point eventually where it's going to be really tough. It's going to be really tough for Baylor to move the ball. They need, it's so critical for them to get an early lead. If they don't, this game has the potential to get out of hand, and it has the potential to look like Utah-Oregon a couple of weeks ago. About to break that game down. But a couple of weeks ago, it's 14 to nothing. Then all of a sudden, things go sideways really quickly, and it's 28 to nothing, it's 38 to 7. And what could be a close game turns into a blowout. That's the way this one could happen. A fast start and a very ratcheted up opening to this game. Very critical for Baylor. We're taking Baylor to win the game. The model likes Baylor to win outright. And so Baylor plus the points, one of our best bets of the week. We like the Bears to win. Uh, right now, five and a half. That's the number we have at Caesars. Let's go to the American. Cincinnati is, I believe, I'm going to wait and see what we got. I looked at it and it was 10 and a half. They're favored by 10 and a half some odd points against Houston. This is a four o'clock Eastern time kickoff on ABC Saturday. Uh, this is the last remaining hurdle, presumably, between the Bearcats and in all likelihood, locking down a playoff spot. There is still a path where they get left out. I just don't think that path is very wide at all. Two things, two things to watch in this game that I think decided. Clayton Toon, who is not the quarterback for Cincinnati. He is the quarterback for Houston, who, if you did the blind resume comparison, has comparable numbers to Desmond Ritter. This is the kind of game he could shine in, and America learns about him. You probably don't know a whole lot about him, and he spoils a great big party that is scheduled in Cincinnati. And number two, Houston has the potential to be opportunistic enough defensively to force some mistakes here. You never know how tight Cincinnati may be playing. These players have never been in a spot this big. A bowl game last year against Georgia is not as big as this game. There is a playoff spot, a conference championship, and a playoff spot on the line. You get those two things taken care of or neutralized, Cincinnati rolls here. I think they win the game. I don't think they roll. So I'm taking Houston to cover, taking Cincinnati to win. I think there may be a path in the fourth quarter for Houston. I do think Cincinnati is a little too good. What about the Pac-12? Pac-12 championship games on a Friday night. This one's in Las Vegas. It's 8 o'clock Eastern time. I think 5 o'clock local time, obviously, on ABC. 38 to 7. Here's the basic question. You can dumb it down. You can drool all over your textbook as you ask it. How do you turn 38 to 7 just two weeks ago into a win two weeks later? Well, the answer is you start over clean at zeros, and then you don't allow the same kind of start to happen. You don't have disastrous special teams performances like Oregon did, to be clear, a couple of weeks ago in Salt Lake City. Uh, you don't lose control of the game going into the half and give up 14 more points. You can't have that kind of stuff happen. If Oregon, I'm going to say it the same way I said a second ago about Baylor. If they can dent the scoreboard early, you never know what that's worth. You also never know when you looked at that game a couple of weeks ago, how much they hated their offensive approach. Because I can tell you Oregon fans did. And so it stands to reason whatever didn't work for you a couple of weeks ago is not going to be the game plan. Now, you could try something different and get the same result. But if they get the same result, I don't think it's going to be because it's the same team. It showed up a couple of weeks ago. Here's the reason it sounds like I'm making excuses for Oregon. Because our model thinks they're going to win. That's why. And so I know how hard it is to fathom. But I'm going to ride with it. Oregon covers. Oregon wins another Pac-12 championship. And if they do that, it will, again, go to show you how different 
each individual example or sample of a football game is relative to the last one or the next one. Last one I wanted to hit on briefly. It's really out of the spotlight. The ACC championship game, Pitt, is favored by two and a half at the moment, at least that's the number I had, over Wake Forest. It's a later game. It's 7 o'clock Eastern, Saturday night. It's on ABC. This game is such an endorsement of a renaissance season. It embodies what the renaissance season is all about. Because do you have any clue what kind of odds I could have gotten on betting that neither North Carolina nor Clemson were going to be in the ACC title game, period? That's what's happening. That's what's up. I feel like this is a Kenny Pickett special. I got to be real with you. I know that's a very dumbed down way to break this down. I think Kenny Pickett is going to be the singular difference in this game. And although he's not going to win the Heisman, I think if you want to be the contrarian and make the argument for him, he's going to give you a ton of ammunition. I want to warn you, Kenny Pickett could put up some Xbox numbers Saturday night in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I think he's going to do it for Pitt en route to a win over Wake Forest. I'm going to take Pitt to win and I will take Pitt to cover those are our conference championship Saturday and Friday predictions, obviously to go along with the SEC championship prediction of Georgia winning and covering against Alabama. Last order of business here, I've got a Ramen Noodle Express best bet to add. I have not revealed this one even on Twitter yet because we just added it a few minutes ago. So here are the games we're already on. We're on Baylor plus five and a half, obviously Big 12 championship game. We're on Oregon plus three, Pac-12 championship game. That's a Friday game. I've got one more Friday game to add here. We are on Western Kentucky minus one and a half. That is on a Friday. Again, they're playing UTSA. So Western Kentucky minus one and a half is where we're going there in in agreement, well, with the model, but also Oregon plus three, Baylor plus five and a half. Those are the three games. I don't know if we're going to add any more, so just stay tuned on that one. Also, I would strongly encourage you If you haven't already listened, we got it out a bit late today. That's my fault. Go check out the Late Kick Extra podcast. Had a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff from Ann Arbor this weekend, a lot of stuff that I didn't get to on the show tonight. So we're looking forward to getting out of here and getting to Atlanta on Thursday. I can't tell you exactly where we're going to be yet, but we will be live from Atlanta on Thursday leading up to the SEC championship game. Appreciate you guys watching. Appreciate the proprietor of this mysterious bedroom for letting us use their facilities, for lack of a better term. Hopefully they clean up after we get out of here. Uh, To give you an idea, there is a real-life NASCAR tire just off the stage left here. So that doesn't concern you. What does concern you is show's doing great. It's all because of you. Thank you so much for it. Make sure you're subscribed to the channel. Make sure you're following, guys, on Twitter, at LateKickJosh, because I am strongly considering just randomly cranking up some of those Twitter spaces of my own. I'm not going to announce it in advance. It's just going to randomly happen. And you know what that is? That is live as live can be. And that's just you and me talking back and forth. I think it could be really fun. want to find the right moment to do it. I think it could be really fun. Uh, Thank you so much. I'm down here in Georgia, up in Tennessee. Producer Jesse, director Colin, just sweating away there in the control room and pulled this thing off way more seamless than it should have been pulled off. That's what happens when you work with professionals. So thank you to them. Thank you to you. Make sure you like the video on the way out. We will see you back here same time Thursday. Until then, take care and God bless.
Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. 